This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There were two more murders 15 miles when away. Police arrived, they found the telephone and electricity line here described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. The desperate need for fame can lead many down a dangerous path. On November 12, 1966, Robert Benjamin Smith finalized his months-long plan for fame, packed a murder kit, and got ready to cement his name in history along with heroes Richard Speck and Charles Whitman. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Robert Benjamin Smith was born in 1948 to a father in the Air Force Reserves. This meant that the family and the growing boy moved around constantly, making friendship and socialization difficult. He was a smart boy, but his lack of coordination forced him to repeat grades and made it difficult to master even ordinary tasks. So this, coupled with the fact that he was constantly the new boy in school, made him the butt of many jokes and the subject of teasing from his peers. So he retreated inward. He read books about history and charismatic figures and became enthralled with the lives of men like Caesar, Napoleon, and President John F. Kennedy. Then came the tragic day JFK was assassinated and the young boy seemed particularly affected. He begged his family to attend the funeral. And after his father said no, the boy began keeping a scrapbook full of information on the murder. The event would prove to be life-changing for Robert Smith, who went from studying heroes like JFK to men like Lee Harvey Oswald, John Wilkes Booth, Brutus, Jesse James, and Hitler. The family relocated to Arizona in 1965, and by then, Robert had completely isolated himself and became a complete loner, though his grades were good enough to get him elected to the student council. And then came the widely publicized crimes of Richard Speck and Charles Whitman, and he knew from that point on that he wanted his name in the history books along with those men. He wanted people to know who he was, to remember his name. So he made a plan, and on November 12, 1966, after three months of planning, he made his way to the Rosemar College of Beauty, a mile and a half from his home, with a brown bag filled with 200 feet of nylon cord, a package of big plastic sandwich bags, two hunting knives, and for good measure, a 22 caliber single-action six-shooter. As the beauty school students were getting ready for the busy day of housewives and families, 18-year-old Richard Smith entered the salon and, when no one paid him any attention, he shot a mirror and all eyes were on him. 
He had planned on killing 40 people, which is why he picked the normally packed salon. But on this particular day, only five women and a three-year-old and a baby were in the building. He continued with the plan and forced everyone inside into the back room and attempted to place sandwich bags over their heads only to find out that they were too small. So instead, he made the women lie in a circle like the spokes of a wheel, heads in the center, and aimed carefully at each woman's head. When he shot 27-year-old Joyce Sellers, the mother of the two children inside, she lurched after she was hit. Robert Smith then pulled out his knife and stabbed her in the head for good measure. Around this time, the operator of the school, Evelyn Cummings, entered and heard the strange popping sound coming from the back room. She called the police and they arrived in time to see Robert standing next to the bodies covered in blood. He said, I wanted to get known, just wanted to get myself a name, as he reconstructed the crime for the police who watched on in horror. When he was finished, he let police arrest him without any resistance. Lying dead on the ground was Joyce Sellers, her three-year-old daughter Debbie, 18-year-old Glenda Carter, 18-year-old Mary Olson, and 19-year-old Carol Farmer. Bonita Sue Harris was able to survive by playing dead until the police showed up, and three-month-old Tamara Sellers survived the attack after her mother Joyce shielded her body from the gunshot. On October 24, 1967, Robert Smith was found guilty of the first-degree murder and sentenced to death. Though after the Supreme Court declared the death penalty unconstitutional in 1972, his sentence was commuted to two 99-year sentences and four life sentences. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 13th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Imagine your parent nervously pacing around your injured child's hospital room. A doctor begins asking you question after question about how your kid got hurt. You begin to realize that they are asking about your involvement in the accident. Where were you when he fell? How did he actually fall? And then you slowly start to see that they think you hurt your child intentionally. Wondery and NBC News present Do No Harm, the terrifying true story of a family torn apart by the system that was supposed to protect them. Investigative reporter Mike Hixenbach chronicles what happens to the Bright family when their three kids are ripped away from them, and the shocking moments that came next. With exclusive audio captured as the events unfolded, Do No Harm takes you inside the most harrowing moments of the Bright's family's fight to protect their children. Wondery, the makers of Dr. Death, Dirty John, and The Shrink Next Door, and NBC News, the team behind Dateline, The Thing About Pam and Motive for Murder join forces to bring you an investigative true crime show unlike any other. Do No Harm. You are about to hear a preview of Do No Harm. While you're listening, be sure to subscribe to Do No Harm on Apple Podcasts. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen to the episode one week early and ad-free. It was half past five on a Wednesday evening in Tomball, Texas. LeVar Jones pulled off the highway, put his car in park, and sent a text to his boss. Just an update, I'm waiting on law enforcement to meet me at the residence. 
As he would later testify, LeVar was worried about how this night might play out. I do believe that they will give me a hard time. That's why I have not initiated yet, so I'll wait and play it by ear. Two hours later, he was still waiting. The police backup he'd requested wasn't on the way, and LeVar decided to go it alone. I'm going to go ahead and attempt to initiate. He drove north on a tree-lined country road, passing pastures lined with white fences. Then he turned off into a newly built subdivision where all the trees were chopped down, but the streets were all named after them. Right turn on Pine Trace Drive, left on Hickory Lane, right on Black Birch. He pulled up outside a two-story brick house with big glass windows, a small square of lawn, one of many that looked almost exactly like it, the home of Melissa and Dylan Bright. He was here because he believed that these two might harm their children, that they might already have harmed their children. That's why he had to act tonight. LeVar was nervous as he stepped out of his car and walked towards the front door. Inside the house, the Brights had reason to be nervous too. That's why they planned to record everything that night. Okay, it is 7.30, September 19th, and our meeting with LeVar, we've just been told that- LeVar didn't know, couldn't have known, that he was about to walk into the toughest fight of his career, a scandal that would rock the government agency where he works and raise serious questions like, Who's really looking out for children? And is this what it takes to keep them safe? Okay, calm, calm down. No, it's my children. I can't calm down. I'm, I'm not. We, we're not going to do that. And so we can't see our children until then? So, my yeah. breastfed son? You are taking him from my breast. Melissa. You are responsible for taking my child away from my breast. That was just a preview of Do No Harm from Wondery and NBC News. To hear the entire episode, subscribe to Do No Harm on Apple Podcasts. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen early and ad-free.